isn't it's a great history to have it's a great part of the story and it's about the future and it's about the bigger picture and i think in those instances you probably have to at least consider that option Listen to the first episode on the history of the GAA. Something that Paul Rouse said about the GAA may have caught your ear. He mentioned at the beginning that in the strictest sense, the Gaelic Athletic Association is an organization for men. Now, obviously, we have women's teams here in D.C., and most clubs around the world have camogie and ladies' football teams. But the way that teams are governed in Ireland and in the rest of the world aren't the same. My ears perked up a bit in confusion when Paul mentioned that the GAA is for men because all of our codes, men and women, are governed by the same club structure. So in order to dig a bit more into how women fit into the GAA as a whole and the challenges that they face, I wanted to talk with someone who really knows the ground. And that person today is Dr. Aoife Lane. She's the Department Head of Sport and Health Sciences at the Athlone Institute of Technology, but she was also the founding chairperson of the Women's GPA, the Gaelic Players Association. So, from the Washington, D.C. Gales, welcome back to GAA in the Capitol. This episode, the unique perspectives and challenges that women face in today's GAA. All right, Dr. Lane, um, so to start, can you explain the division between the GAA, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association, and the Camogie Association, and how they're kind of all wrapped up together? Yeah, Paul is, um, is on point. So basically, the GAA was set up in the late 1800s, and it, it was set up as a, um, an organization to govern um, men's Gaelic games. Um, at that point, women playing sport would have been frowned upon in, in lots of respects, but especially in that context, we've, you know, it was felt that wasn't for girls and that, you know, it might affect them physically and emotionally and everything. So that was fine. That was the thinking of the time. So maybe that reflected the time. And it, it was for men and men's games. But in the early 1900s, then, I suppose women were interested in hurling um, and there was lots of pockets of activity. And eventually then, I don't know, it was around 1904. You can check all the dates probably if you, if, if you Google them. But they, they set up a, the Camogie Association and they called it Camogie, which means a young hurler. Um, that's the translation of it. Um, I don't know why it was called that, but I suppose it's a nice term. Um, um, later we might talk about the fact that I probably would love it to just be hurling but anyway it started as, as camogie at that point and um, flourished and grew like hurling would be a very localised um, activity sport you know there's hubs of it and where there's a male hub there's generally a female hub you know the, the, the counties that are strong in the men's are strong in the women's so it'd be very native and local that way so that was fine. It went ahead. And as far as I know, you know, the whole notion of women in the GAA was practically non-existent, definitely from a playing perspective, but also in, in the boardroom, in, in, in governance and decision making. They weren't really overly mentioned or recognized maybe until the 70s. Um, and then in the late 70s, which is amazing, really, at that point, ladies football started as the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. So it took another 70 years from when the Camogie version started for, for the football equivalent for women, um, which is remarkable because I suppose you might think football is maybe an easier sport to grasp. It was always more popular anyway, like football is played in more counties in Ireland than hurling. Um, 
But anyway, the late 70s, ladies football started as its own entity, uh, possibly following the, the path of Camogie rather than maybe having a conversation with the GA about uh, joining or linking. But equally, I don't know where the GA ever reaching out. So, um, you know, fair play. And we're very lucky to have women and men who saw the need to set up Gaelic games for women. Um, so that's where we still stand. You know, we have three separate organisations and while there is, um, you know, good, I suppose, overlap, you know, out there that the natural affinity is in a club that everybody's kind of together and all the same and they get on with it and they share resources and facilities. And that does happen. But at the end of the day, there's still three organizations around, you know, there being three different club groups, if they exist, one for the GA, one for the ladies football, one for the camogie. Um, three different reporting structures, three different NGBs to be dealing with with Sport Ireland. Like everything is in triplicate. You know, there, there isn't a, a kind of a one approach as such. So that's the reality we have. And I don't know how well understood it is. It's, it doesn't surprise me. You know, a lot of people still don't really know um, that the GA is actually an organization for men. And I feel, you know, I feel that's very glib, but it's, it is the truth and you know, we we I'm I'm an absolute GA nut. I love the organisation. I'd be really passionate about it, but it does bother me a little bit that, it, you know, we're still somewhat of a male organisation. Um, you know, right again from the playing perspective, right into the boardroom, it's mostly men. Um, and I don't know how many women there are. Well, I, I have an idea, but there aren't as many women as we'd like making decisions about sport in this massive organisation in our country and worldwide. So. That's the reality in Ireland. And there are little things in place to try and overcome it. And there has been progression. And I know overseas that you don't work in that model. And I think it's the same in Britain, across Europe, in the US and Australia. They, there's just one club. Um, so, you know, again, I think that's the natural approach in the more modern world. Um, and people want that fresh, modern sporting organization. And you guys naturally do that I think because maybe you're not dealing with that same legacy um so that's the gist of it I hope that makes sense um around maybe the evolution of where we are at this point in terms of having three organizations yeah I mean like you mentioned we have a slightly different club model here in the U.S. and I think in the overseas GAA as a whole where the codes like both men and women are governed by the same club rather than that kind of triplicate setup with the GAA, the LGFA, and the Camogie Association. So, I mean, coming from the U.S. perspective, seeing how our club works, do you think that that kind of triplicate association structure in Ireland is something that might go away eventually, like they might all merge together? About 20 years ago, I think it was 2001 or 2000, 2000 in January, there was a forum for women in Gaelic games. And that was actually really innovative at the time. And it was actually a club, club mate of, of mine. He was president at the time, Joe McDonough. Um, had would have would have would have a lot of respect for a few for women that were in the GA and they probably realized geez we've got a bit of an issue here let's just look around us you know we're looking at a lot of men and we also don't look after the women's games and when I say don't look after again that's been glib there would be a lot of really strong goodwill at club level there's no real you know you get access to the pitches you know all of that's there you know but still we're still operating in three structures so they, they had a forum and, and the outcome of that forum was that, look, we need to merge. We need one organization. And it was a very clear stated outcome. And to be honest, in the 20 years since, geez, I don't know. I mean, we've probably made inches forwards, but the language even has changed now. It's very much around um, 
working together and the GA family, the verb integrate and the noun integration doesn't appear as much as maybe it did even then. It was such a stated, clear fact at that point. Um, so yeah, there are things in place that the, the CEO of Camogie Ladies Football sits on the GA management committee. They don't have a vote though, but they're there. Um, you know, there is a one club model where a club can decide to operate as one club, but it still needs representatives for the three organizations. That's kind of hidden in the in the smaller text, I suppose. Like there still has to be an LGFA chairperson. So it's it's still one bit looking after one bit. Um, but it's good. Um, there are more collaborative approaches. And partly that's because girls are speaking up a little bit more. Um, you know, they're especially in the, at the high performance end, players are really saying, hang on a second, like we're doing something very similar and we're being looked after very differently. And really the solution to maybe that changing is, is a merger. Um, because look at you know, as well as I do, that in, in the real world now, it's very difficult to get away with treating men and women differently. You know, it's, it, you know, in, in, um, in Western society anyway, it's, it's just not, it's not acceptable practice and you're challenged if you do that. So it would be really interesting if the J was one organization, because suddenly everyone would have that level playing field. They should anyway. So, so then what are some of the issues then that women face currently in the GAA in terms of, you know, equal representation, equity and using space and stuff like that. I know for a lot of professional sports, equal pay is the one that kind of comes to mind. You know, like the, the national U.S. women's soccer team springs to mind as a, a major example there, but that obviously doesn't factor into the GAA. So what are some of the big hurdles? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is voice. And if you look at any management committee at county level, at club level, at national level, you probably have a, have always less than 30% women. And again, we now know that unless you're at least 40%, you know, your decision-making influence and is, is, is limited. So there's, there's a lot around voice that women aren't represented enough in the GAA anyway. Um, they're probably represented a lot more strongly in the LGFA and Camogie. But if we're thinking about this organization and we want to push it to something different, I don't think there's a strong enough representation and inclusion of women in, in the boardroom um, in any role, to be honest. So that's one thing around voice. Um, at a club level, I would think that most girls and boys who play feel that they get a similar experience. You know, they get they get the same time on the field. Um, um, they probably get the same access to coaches, possibly the same number of coaches. But again, you wonder if there's 20 coaches in a club, are the top two or three, what sport are they going to? You know, and I suppose I don't know the answer, but I, I'm assuming that sometimes they might be leaning towards the boys. So, again, you start to get a, a, a diversity of experience as you get a bit older. More girls drop out from sport anyway. So more boys stay. And I would imagine at most adult level in clubs, the boys are getting a better service than girls. And I wouldn't always blame I don't know who to blame for that. I don't know where it lies. It might be just the level of, you know, how the game has developed for men as, a, as opposed to women. So I suppose the experience of support services around athletic development or nutrition and that, I think that would be much experienced a lot greater in men at club level and definitely so at inter-county level. So at club level, it's not bad, I suppose, in some. You get good access to pitches. I think there's a really good volunteer ethos in the GA that means that people will get involved for their kids so you've got, you know, you've, you've people involved, you've got clubs, you have coaches. Um, the quality of it might experience a little bit of a differential. The, the big difference probably happens at inter-county at a high performance level where 
you know, for one, the boys get expenses. So um, they're not out of pocket due to playing the game. So if they've traveled to training, uh, they get 50 cent a mile. Um, the girls don't get anything. Or, you know, very, very few might get something token, but there's no system in place. So technically the girls and the guys, and we've, we've data to show that now, they do the same thing, but they're, they're looked after quite differently. Um, the support teams at county level, like most of the men's teams now would have a full-time athletic development person that have a really strong input of nutrition, psychology. Whereas the girls, it's, it's probably a little bit more ad hoc, um, might be in athletic development, but the others are dipping in and out. There just isn't the resources, you know, the, the financial output of the men and women's teams are just vast apart. And that doesn't mean they're, the girls are doing too little and the boys too much. I think there's a happy medium there. I think maybe there's too much being spent on one end. Um, so they would be the big differences, I suppose, is around that um, your experience, your, I suppose, your ability to reach your potential and the support around that is a little bit more limited for girls. And, and they, they tend to be involved in teams that have to pay for facilities. I don't think that ever happens in the lads teams because they own them. You know, the GA owns all our pitches. The girls don't, they have to ask to pay. And a lot of the time they're paying. Um, they probably don't have the same level of exposure around, um, you know, media coverage, TV time. It's getting better, but it's still not where it is. So, you know, there's a very different experience for the girls, um, even at that high performance level. It, it dilutes itself a little bit at club level because of the GA ethos, because that's where it is about community and amateurism and volunteerism. Whereas as you move up the grade where we have this flagship of our games, that's where you start to see a bit of a difference. Yeah, paying for pitches is something that like really kind of boggles my mind coming from the you know American perspective here. We're like, yes, finding places to practice is a bit of a pain in the D.C. area, but like if we managed to set up a home pitch, the thought of char charging the ladies footballers or camogie players to rent that from the club like seems pretty outlandish in my mind. I mean, not to say that our club is perfect. I know, you know, one way that we've maybe failed the women in the past is that like they don't really show up in photos as much as the guys do. So, I mean, if you only have one photographer and there's a men's game and a women's game, you can probably guess where they're going to shoot. And, and I mean, it's like a little thing, but but it does matter. I know, but I mean, it is such, you might think it's a small thing, but like you're just looking at it going, it's so natural for you to question that. Whereas we still struggle with the status quo of having to say, oh, could you stop using the word chairman? Because it could be a woman. And let's, can we just use the word chairperson? You know, those things are are subtle, but they're, they're very impactful. So we've the exact same thing here. We, like we struggle with visibility. Um, you know, it's a constant, you feel like you're a constant moan, to be honest. And and, you know, that you fancy have to say, oh, could you not invite a girl to do that? Or could you get a girl on the panel there and not have four men? You know, that, that's the type of stuff that we um, we have to channel as well. I mean, certainly things we should be aware of. Um, now, on another topic, you were the founding chairperson of the Women's GPA, right? The Gaelic Players Association. So maybe you could explain for those who might not know what the GPA is. Yeah. It's like a players union, I guess. Um, I'm sure you've versions of the WNBPA and you've got the NFLPA and stuff. We've looked at a lot of what they've done over this side. So, yeah, it's, it's technically a players union where you bring the players together and have one voice um, on particular issues. It's very player led, player driven. So, I mean, you'd have players on the boards and they run it. You know, it's it's the executive would be all current or past players. Um, they set the agenda. They determine the how of doing things um, they report to each other it's like a club and a community then as well there is an AGM um, it's it's an open process a very democratic process and uh, 
Yeah, it's it's also, I suppose, in, in, in a sport perspective, it's about then supporting the player on and off the field. That would be the principle of all players' unions. So we would see that there's an added responsibility of a, of a GPA-type organisation to support a player through their education, their career, their any setbacks they might have, you know, life setbacks, psychological setbacks. Um, you might help them start up business. You might, um, you know push them forward for certain opportunities, you might enhance their visibility. So there's that element to it too. Whereas I suppose when they play their sport, a lot of the time they're they're athletes and really a player's union is about the person and you know developing that individual and the professional as well as the um the athlete. The other thing it does as well, I suppose, is it, is it harnesses the the, the power of a, of a player collective around sponsorship and endorsement and you know because those things that I spoke about cost money. So it is it is really good to be able to attract investment to the, the major commodity, really, which is that really high performance player. So that's technically what it is. It's um it it generally is around the person, the professional, and and the athlete. But the GPA would really look at those first two. Um and also, I suppose, in the female perspective, there is a lot of work in trying to improve the athlete experience as well. You know, it's not a done deal like the lads might be. I don't think theirs is either, but, you know, the girls will still all be trying to, trying to get pitches and better coaches and, you know, better sports science support. So we feel there's a bit of work to do from, from that perspective on the women's side as well. And could you speak a little bit to your experience in starting that organization? Like, what was it like to get started? Yeah, it was it was really cool, to be honest, because... I think what you find with women in sport a lot of the time, especially in Gaelic games, um, which would be very patriarchal, they weren't asked a lot. They weren't, you know, you just kind of got on with it and you, you know, you put, you dug your heels in and you got on with it, even though you knew you probably should be challenging things. The expectations were so low, which completely contradicted the level of investment and commitment um, that the girls had. So there was this unbelievable response to going, oh God, Jesus maybe that's not okay and you know might it be cool to organize ourselves and to have a, a, un, a united voice on it so it was a, it was a really cool experience and from the word go when we started engaging with players you could just see ah oh, we have to do this like because there was just like you said there was a massive need that that wasn't you know there was so many things around access to pitches showers um toilets like simple things that were just weren't being called out they were sort of being left there and for one reason or another people were getting on with it and unless you had a strong presence or personality in your team or in your county board it was it was continuing to happen so um so yeah it was a really cool experience obviously the men had done it before um 15 years before that and they had set up a really good pathway but I suppose for us at the start it was about we had such different issues and um a really different starting point and there was a kind of a sense of wanting to do it our own way and I suppose five years later now, the, the men's and the women's organizations are merging, which is brilliant. And it's the right thing to do um, because I think everyone has realized now, actually, this all makes sense. You know, the, the guys and girls should be treated equally and they need to support each other to do that. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I felt we had very strong values about how we did things. I mean, our, our number one principle was that if you're on a county panel, whether you're number 30 or number one, you should be looked after equally. And if you're from... A fairly weak county like Kerry playing hurling or Camogie, you know, you're not going to probably 
be up at the top echelons of Camogie if you're from Kerry. Um, but if you're from Dublin, you're winning all around you. It's still same thing applied. You should be treated equally. Um, you are the best in your region. So we had a few very strong principles like that that we always came back to. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed being value-led and kind of principle-driven. And um, yeah, it just made it like a really cool enterprise. And it was, you know, it's nice to start something new because you get to shape it and, you know, you're shaped by the people you started with. And they're... Um, Oh, it's just fresh thinking. And like, I, I love history and I appreciate history, but and I think it has to be embedded in, into anything you do, but we got to have a fresh go and it was really cool to do that. Even calling it the Women's Gaelic Players Association, you know, was a, a big thing, I think, because you have ladies football and camogie and you're like, why are we calling these things? You know, why are we using the term ladies? But um, I don't know, maybe we should have known that in the 70s too, but however it is what it is. So, yeah. And so then what do you see as the kind of path forward for making the games and the GAA as a whole more more equitable? What's the route forward in your mind? Probably there is a pathway. And I think one of the things I would be really interested in the minute is, is enhancing the women's representation in the GAA. So, you know, I, I accept where Camogie Ladies Football are. I accept they're represented in the GAA and they should be. But I also think we need to do a better job of representing women in the GAA. So... In any club around Ireland, there's probably two or three or four really strong, well, there's a lot more than that, but there's probably that number of women in their club executive. So there is a talent pool of really good women in strong roles who should be progressed up so we have greater visibility and greater voice for women in the GAA. And like I, I do, my motive for that is, yes, I'd like to see the organisation represent Ireland a little bit more. Um, and at the minute, I don't know, does it do that as well as it should? Um and also, I think that if there's more women there, they might recognize that we need to do a better job for the girls who play our games, because at the minute, they're still in a different sphere. Um, and there, there might be a slow pathway to that around maybe being a little bit stronger on clubs, having a one club model um, so that there, it is all together and maybe even rethinking that a little bit so that it's maybe a little bit less cumbersome. There's one membership um you know, then we might move toward the one county model, you know, where we, we break down those barriers between the male and female county teams. So I suppose the initial bit for me is around representation in the GAA. And I think then, and I also think we need to do a lot of engagement with clubs and countries and go, what's, why not? What are the challenges here? We don't know. Like we're speculating constantly on why integration won't work, or we're not even really talking about it, to be honest, which is, is even more upsetting. But um you know, it, it would be really good to know on the ground, is this something that people want? And then we determine a way to make it happen if, if that's the case and we try and identify the challenges. So, uh, yeah, the first step really is, for me, it's representation. I, I It'd be the one thing I'm a little bit disappointed in my organisation about, that when I look around, I'd see mostly men in the really, you know, the strong influential positions. And, you know, and the new president is, is, is um, based in America and... I think it's the one thing you guys do really well over there is you're ahead of us on equality in terms of recognizing, you know, we have to do better on gender. And I saw that in all the new, the president's new committees, you know, just you can see diversity um, on gender and other grounds. And I think we're a little bit behind. And I think the GA is just so important in Ireland that it needs to maybe show some leadership on it. We, we do our best, <laughs> though we still have plenty of work to do ourselves in fairness. 
And, and also it's easy for us in the U.S. You know, we already operate on a one club model. And for a lot of clubs, it's probably due to just the struggle of getting enough players on the field. I mean, outside of like the big hubs like Chicago and New York, a lot of USGAA clubs are pretty small. And so to do anything other than co-ed, just, you wouldn't make the numbers necessarily. So, I mean, perhaps we throw stones from glass houses if we criticize the Irish GAA for, for not merging, you know? I know, and I, I really like that. And like yours, that's exactly what happens in, in Britain, in Europe, Australia, as I said, it just, it, you're probably looking at this going, this is a bit daft, like what's stopping you? Um, and like, you don't have, like we've, we, as I said, the one club model in Ireland, we're still kind of splitting it into one overarching group at the top. And then we have the Kamuga group, the ladies football group and the men's group. And like, that kind of bothers me too. Like, I don't re I'd, I'd love, my aspiration is that, we don't have women over there making decisions about the women's game and men over there making decisions about the men's. We need to get into a stage where men and women are making decisions about the whole sport. And we're just falling into this constant habit of this segregation thing. So um, look at it's, it's, there's a lot to change. And I, I think a lot of this, there's no real resistance. It's just a little bit of um, acknowledgement of it sometimes. Um, as you said, Ireland has changed. I, I think this would be very natural if we, if we, if we took it on. So, I mean, in, in all practicality then, do, do you think the GAA will merge with the LGFA and the Camogie Association eventually? I mean, I suppose you have a pretty personal connection with the bittersweet aspect of watching an organization that's been run specifically for women get merged into a larger organization like the Women's GPA did, yeah? I think it'll happen. I just don't know how soon, but I 100% know that it's the inevitable. Like, and... I know there's a sense of loss, like we were involved in setting up the WGPA. It's something I loved, enjoyed. There isn't going to be a WGPA in a few months. Like, and it's, that's only five years. And I totally get it. We're talking about 110 years for Camogie and 50 years for ladies football. So there's always a bit of a, a bit of a wrench, you know, but isn't, it, it's a great history to have. It's a great part of the story and it's about the future and it's about the bigger picture. And I think in those instances, you probably have to at least consider that option. And, and that's the scary thing for people. And I totally get it. Um, and just to acknowledge, there's stuff that happens in ladies football and camogie that absolutely have to be integrated into the GA. They do some things better than, you know, a lot of sports. And it's not like that they're how they work and what they do and who works there should. I wouldn't be mandating at all that they're not, you know, they need to be integrated and possibly supersede some of the activities in, in the GA. But um, yeah, I suppose all intents and purposes that the associations would would um, disappear or they would um, cease to exist. And so that's Dr. Lyon's take on the situation, which I hope you found as interesting as I did. Um, however, a lot of our conversation was focused on the challenges that women face in Gaelic games in Ireland specifically. But we're an American club, of course, so we have an American perspective. So I also wanted to drag in a poor clubmate of ours for questioning here, one you probably all know and love, Bridget McCarthy. So Bridget has been a coach for the Camogie team for several years with the DC Gales, as well as coaching the upstart team up at Catholic University. Traveling is a lot more difficult because they have to ask their parents for money <laughs> to go anywhere. So it's just like, I feel bad just like imposing these travels on them. And um, another hurdle we had at Catholic was getting our recognition as a club in general on the campus. And we just finally got it this past year. So we kind of actually have a solid foundation to work up from. But of course, we are not here to talk about the CUA team, though we are rooting for them. <laughs> Bridget is here to share perspectives of her own experience coaching women's teams here with the Gales. So let's get into that. So as a coach, 
Do you think that women's teams in the club have access to the the same resources that the men's do? You know, do you think there's a, a difference there? How, how do you how have you perceived that? I would say like yes and no. I feel like the DC girls do a better job than the national average <laughs> in terms of trying to boost more of the women's support and whatnot because I'm on the Kamogi Development Committee and the one thing that I've gotten from a lot of girls who are trying to start a team is that they're trying to depend on a prominently male focused club to support a women's team and I'm just like you can't depend on them like you have to do things yourself and from when I started with the Gales I kind of had to put that on myself was just like I can't wait around for someone to decide that we actually need something so I'm just like okay fine I'll just do it myself like it's it's a lot more of just picking up your bootstraps and going and trying to get what you want without like you can you obviously have to stay in their good graces and ask them if this is okay and whatnot but you have to take things on on your own and just make it happen because you can't just wait around for something to happen where I feel like that's not really a problem when it comes to men's teams. Like I feel like the men's team to get a lot more attention because it's a lot like higher intensity and a lot higher pace and whatnot. Like I recognize that playing as a girl, but I don't think it should like, I feel like a lot of attention goes to the men's just because they're a little bit more entertaining to watch, but I don't think it a lot of times comes from the actual club structure in most cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, the intensity levels may be different between the codes, of course, but like, I don't think that's a great reason for a club to allocate resources in an inequitable way, for example. But I mean, I, that was a thing I noticed in the past. I, and I mentioned it earlier in a conversation with, with Dr. Lane, it was photos, you know, it's just harder to find women's photos for American clubs. I mean, it's easier now, but I know in the past, it was more of an issue. I did find it hard, especially when I was with the the Gales and even the Mid-Atlantic was just like finding quality pictures of girls to post anywhere. Like I would post pictures of guys for like trying to get people to see Kamogi events. And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I need something. But luckily, like the, I feel like the COVID team, like they have their own photographer basically. And I get a lot of stuff from them. But like a lot of the pictures that I was getting of the Gales were of this guy taking pictures of the COVID team and just happened to get pictures of us in it. Like it was just like, Brian had straws like I couldn't find anything and it was really frustrating but here's a picture of a dude please join our Kamogi team right <laughs> like <laughs> like even if it was, if I never did have a picture I was just like it was a really low quality picture and I'm like these guys pictures look like so good like they're very well edited great and then the girls pictures are kind of just like someone taking a picture on their phone I'm just like I need more so beyond that, what kind of other stumbling blocks for development have popped up for the teams you're coaching? Yeah, I think, well, the one obvious thing that keeps it makes it hard to keep women actually playing all the time is we get pregnant. So like when they're pregnant, they can't play and keeping them seeing the commitment side of it when they can't actually play something. I find that really hard and we haven't really had too much of that kind of issue recently. Like we had my sister who plays with us. She, um, she just had her second kid, but that part of the year she had her first and like, she couldn't play with us for a little bit. And she recognized that, but like this whole year, if we had played, she wouldn't have been able to play with us. She would just, luckily she's very committed to the team. So she would have been on the sideline helping and everything, but not all women do that. Like, unless they're actually participating in something it's hard to keep them. So what I've tried to remedy that was developing more of a 
separation of powers when it came to the management of the Kamogi team. So I didn't have to do everything on my own because I have a lot of stuff I have to handle. Like I'm on a lot of, I was on a lot of boards at the time, but, um, but yeah, so like I have, I developed like an at-home training coordinator, a field fitness coordinator, a social coordinator, me as the manager, the assistant coach, um, because me and the assistant coach are both players. I had to get a sideline manager who's actually cognitive of the actual abilities of our players. So it was just like, I had six to seven people helping me. And for people like the one person who was doing our sidelines, like she played in the past and her daughter who is in high school now, she's playing with us and she doesn't really have a desire to actually like play full-time but she likes to practice with us which is great so she has the the overall view of the team but she like wants to stay involved and be there for her daughter and keeping her involved with everything I just asked her to be the sideline manager for us in our games and she was like absolutely I'd love to do that and so try to remedy things by actually giving people roles and what's the future look like so what does future planning look like for the women's teams how do we as a club bring in more women to these games and, and keep team numbers up and stuff i think just having more resources given to us because if my like my dream absolute dream is to have two teams and the problem right now is i feel like that's a problem across the board is like we all have a player who's also coaching us and that's kind of an issue <laughs> like having someone who's able to coach separate from actually training is like for me it's is like in a very essential part and if a two-team system does happen with the Kamogi team like I'm gonna have to have them do separate days or something because like I can't train myself and coach an entire separate team and I'm like trying to figure out how that's gonna work and whatnot but like we're almost to that point too. Like we had, I think last year we almost had 40 girls registered and I would have so many girls on the sideline the last year we played that I couldn't play eight or nine of them. And it was awesome, (laughs) but I felt bad, but they're all like, they just all wanted to be there. Like they didn't care that they didn't play, just love playing the game. And I just want to feel like I need, like, I feel like I need to have more, coaching resources by not it's hard to ask for because there's not a lot of people that know how to coach Kamogi that isn't actually playing <laughs> right now. There's certainly things we can be doing in the future, of course, but this pandemic is kind of putting a kibosh on those plans, obviously. But still, I hope this was as interesting a set of discussions to you as it was to me. Obviously, the issues that women are facing in the world of Gaelic games differs from Ireland to here, but we can all certainly learn a bit as we go and do our part to make these games more equitable for everyone. 